Hey guys, welcome back to Vertical Momentum. VM Nation, this is going to be truly amazing. We're going to be talking about some of the things that I love most. We're going to be talking about military, veterans. We're going to be talking about um, recovery, which obviously you know that I love. But we're also going to get into some deep, dark talk. Um, and hopefully we can help save some lives. So guys, definitely hang out. Check this out. Make sure you're going to save, share this out. But first, I want to thank our sponsors. As you guys know, I love my coffee. I, I drink my coffee every day. And today I made some iced coffee with Soldier Girl Coffee. Um, I love the taste of it. I love the energy that I get. So if you love energy, if you love coffee, but if you love um, a veteran-owned company that's female veteran-owned and only hires veterans to work in the company, definitely check out Soldier Girl Coffee at www.soldiergirlcoffee.com. All right, my brother, what's going on? How are you doing, Mr. Ricky Johnson Jr.? I'm good, sir. How are you? Man, you know, life is so good. Um, as we were talking before we got on, you know, even though here in New Jersey it's raining out, um, we can't have the rainbows without the rain. Absolutely. And I think yeah. a lot of people, they don't realize, you know, um, that we can't appreciate the good times if we don't have some struggles. Yeah, without without the tragedy, there's no triumph. I try to keep that in mind. I love it. So tell us, you know, where you come from, where'd you grow up, and what kind of little boy was Ricky? So Richard, originally I'm from Southeast Missouri. Um, right now I reside in Jacksonville, North Carolina. Um, growing up, I had, you know, I had a pretty good childhood. I had good parents. Um, I was a I was a very active kid. I was athletic. I made good grades. I think I was pretty well liked by my peers, uh, but. You know, I was exposed to substance use at a young age. Uh, I can still remember uh, my family letting me taste alcohol at the age of like four, five, and six. I grew up in the bars with my dad, my biological father. Um, I lost I lost both my parents to substance use. Uh, my, they're both chronic alcoholics. So my mother was 49 and my dad was 52. Um, also, as a child, I was, I was violated by a family member, which had a very traumatic impact on my life as well. You know, but overall, I think I had a pretty good childhood. You know, I, I never done without both my parent, my my stepdad raised me. He was, and you know, we're still we're close to this day. Uh, they both my parents worked very hard, and um, I, you know, despite despite some of the choices that I made in my life, I never point the finger or blame them for it. You know, but the truth, you know, but I was, but it did it impacted my life, and it it inspired who I wanted to be, and some of that wasn't in a in a good way. So, yeah. but, uh you know, I've had a, a bunch of people that have come on and I've talked to that have been abused as children. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, if a child is really outgoing, after they had the abuse happen, they get really withdrawn. And um, But now, sometimes if the child is really withdrawn, after that, they become, they start acting out. Yeah. Did you stay the same or how did things change? Um. I don't think I, I was ever really, really withdrawn. Um, I, I was pretty outgoing. Um, never, I never had, I never had a problem socializing with people. Like I said, I think I was pretty well liked by my peers. And I was, I was lost for a long time. I mean, uh, that what happened to me as a kid, it affected my relationship. It, it, it affected me throughout the years as far as in my relationships. And, um, you know, just, I, I was a touch me not, I didn't want people to touch me at all. So, that impacted my life. You know, also, as you know, I had, a, I had, a, I had a son at a young age as well. I was 17 years old when my son was born. So that also had a very <laughs> a profound impact on my life as well. That, that, was a, that was a summer before my senior year. Now, 
were you an athlete in school? Were you good in school? Were you, were you, um, did you like education? Yeah, I, I made good grades. I was athletic. Um, I was, I was the, I don't want to say typical, but I was the typical teenage boy. I was in the grills. I was, you know, I was still, I'd go to parties, experiment with alcohol. Um, and I, I was, I was a pretty good student as well. I had, I had some scholarships to go to college after high school. And it wasn't for athletics, but it was just for scholarships that I'd won through, you know, my local school, through the, through the high school. But um, I, I didn't, I didn't go to, I didn't go to college. I needed some structure, some guidance and discipline. And I joined the Marine Corps. I had a very extreme, competitive, obsessive personality. Uh, the Marine Corps was the perfect storm for me. And um, in, in, in the Marine Corps, I, I, I think I did. I think I excelled pretty well. Uh, but 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 that that entire time, I you know, with that extreme personality and substance use, it was it was not a good mix for me. All right, so let's hop back because sure. um, my father left me when I was three months old. Okay. So. Um, I never knew how to be a dad. And yep. when my daughter was born uh, nine years ago, um, I was scared, um, you know, because I grew up as an abused child. I didn't want to uh, abuse my children. Yep. I, you know, and there's there's books out there, but there's really that oh shit moment, you yeah. know. <laughs> and for me, you know, I went to every doctor's appointment you know, and I told my wife, I said, I want to be the first person to change my daughter's diapers. Yeah. I want to be the father that, you know, I never had. Mm -hmm. But, you know, even though I said that, I'm like, all right, what is a father? Yeah. You know, so talk to us about that experience of becoming a father at a young age while you were still dealing with your own trauma. I was um, I was lost. Uh, and Richard, is, is, you know, if you bring that up, you know, my my stepdad and myself are very close. But I never really had that connection of what it was like to have a, you know, a father in my life. And I struggled being a dad. I mean, I was not always the best example. I was a kid and I was a boy having a having a baby and I thought I was a man and I had no clue as to what I was doing. But I love my son with all that was in me. You know, I tried and I tried my best. Um, and, you know, as far as as far as what happened to me as a kid, I was, I, I'm, I'm still to this day. I love children, but I'm very I'm very cautious with kids as far as, you know, like you mentioned, you didn't, you know, you never wanted to treat your, your child the way that you'd been treated. So I, I still carry that with me as far as I never want to, I never want a young child to look at me as a creepy individual, you know, and I saw, so I'm very, I'm very reserved with that. But, um, I tried my best at 17 years old. I was so lost. Um, and I, I needed, I needed to grow up. I was very immature. So now you're 17 years old, mm -hmm. obviously, you know, won't, because you know we can be real with each other. You know, sure. not like anybody's watching this anyway. But you know, when you're 17 years old, you know you really don't know your asshole from your elbow. Absolutely. And then all of a sudden, you're like, "All right, this child has to eat. It's got to be fed. It's got to be loved." And I don't even feel loved. Yeah. So, and then, what was the decision to join the Marine Corps, and why the Marine Corps? And what was your recruiting story like? Sure. So I married I married my son's mother. I married her. I was 19 years old. Um, I was working a construction job and I got laid off and I and I needed I needed employment like pretty quickly. Uh this just the Marines, something about the Marine Corps appealed to me, that extreme um uh, competitive, aggressive nature. I wanted I wanted to challenge myself. 
there really was no recruiting to it. Um, I went to a Marine recruiter and he started giving me the spiel and I'm like, you know, I, I know what I'm getting into. And I just, I signed up and, you know, the rest was history. Um, I was 19, went to San Diego to boot camp and uh, I was in the Marine Corps. I was a 1391. I was a bulk fuel specialist. I never saw combat. I never was deployed. I was an air wing Marine. I pumped gas. That's what I did. So my recruiting story wasn't some uh, drawn out significant thing. I knew what I was getting into and I, I, that's what I chose. And plus the, the uniform, the uniforms appealed to me. That was another thing. Well, Whether for me, you, you know, I, I love my Marines. Yeah. Two things. Number one, you guys have the best uniforms ever. <laughs> hands yeah. down. No, no questions. Yeah. But also you guys have that mentality. Once a Marine, always a Marine. Sure. And I made the mistake of one time calling somebody an ex-Marine and I, yeah. he kind of chewed my ass. Sure. So, you know, what was it like going into um, base, you know, go to basic training? Did you, did you, re did you really take to the Marines? I was scared to death. I mean, I'm, I'm from, I'm a, I'm from a small town, 3,500 people in the Midwest, never been away from, you know, I've been away from home, but not nothing, not to that extreme nature. And you know, I was 19 years old, just had a kid married. Um, I was, I was scared. I got to San Diego. It was a culture shock, you know, but I mean, it, um, you look, you know, looking back, the things that stressed me out at 19 to 23, uh, now that now it wasn't really you know, looking back now and considering the things I've gone through since then, it wasn't really stressful. But at that time, it was very stressful to me. Um, I thought I was walking into a living hell when I got the when I got the boot camp. Oh, it was it was pretty intense. But um, I knew what I was getting into. I was I tried to prepare for it the best I could. I thought I was in decent shape. But when I got there, I saw that I really wasn't. You know, that's another thing, Richard, about, you know, I, I grew up and I was I was an athletic kid. And in, and in my mind, I thought I was pretty good from a small town. But then when I got to San Diego and, and I got in the Marine Corps, I was around some guys that were some, some, some uh, truly great athletes and very physically fit. And it, it pushed me to get better, but I, I quick, it quickly humbled, it humbled me for sure. So now you did, you said from 19 to 23, I did four years and eight months. Yes. No. Um, because you had such a hard time growing up, this was a guaranteed source of income. Yep. Um, you know, you're getting, everybody knows that even though we're hardcore and hoo hoo, we get paid on the first and the 15th, yep. we get TRICARE, we, you know, we get all that good stuff. So what was your thought process in getting out? And then when you did get out, you know, I've talked to now 380 uh, interviews mm -hmm. when guys and girls get out of the military, they, they lose the camaraderie, they lose the mission. Mm -hmm. They lose a job. Yep. And what my friend Sergeant Nick talks about, Sergeant Nick Valentine talks about, is when you step off base, the military does not give a shit about you anymore. And the yep. phone stops ringing. Yeah. So why did you get out? And what was your transitioning out like? So the reason I got out, I was a mama's boy. Um, I was a homebody. I missed home. Uh, my I, my wife, my ex-wife, and I at the time we had done divorced, and I was I was missing my son. I was I was not getting to see him grow up, um, and I was just I was tired of it, stressed out. I got it when, while I was in the Marine Corps. I got my first DWI, um, and I would just I had a I had a bad taste in my mouth. I mean, I discharged honorably. You know, I was I was a good Marine, but I was ready to go home. The transition to me. 
Um, it was difficult. Looking back, I didn't really understand what a transition was because uh, I, I was young. But, um, you know, now that I look back, the, the Marine Corps, I mean, they, they paid. I mean, they paid well. I was taken care of. Everybody knew their job. There was the brotherhood, the camaraderie. And the transition, you know, it's, you know, it, that was, that was, that's our identity for all of us. And then when you leave that behind, it's a difficult pill to swallow. Uh, you're coming, you're coming, we're coming back into a very chaotic world. It's unstable. Um, everybody's doing their own thing, <laughs> you know, so it was a uh, looking back, you know, that, that transition was probably, it was difficult. And, and, and Richard, the way that, the way that I framed the transition was a comfortable misery. And when I when I speak to people about it, the last what I mean by that is you can be in a very toxic, destructive environment like an addiction, a marriage, a job you hate. When you spend so much time in it, um, even if you hate it, you develop these skills and tools to help you to survive and you become good at it. The thought of leaving that behind, it's the fear of the unknown. It's overwhelming and we doubt our abilities. And uh, that's I, 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 I relate that to even in, within my addiction as well. You know, I see this with the homeless population. When I did outreach, you know, you, if you have an individual been homeless five or 10, 15 years, and even though we know there's a better way, I can be like, hey, brother, we can get you into housing or employment, but you got to leave this this encampment behind. Nine times out of 10, they're going to stay where they're at because they're comfortable in it, because that transition is very intimidating. So you know, that's what it's like for me. You know, and I agree, you know, like I, I used to speak a lot in, in uh, rehabs, prisons. And, you know, everybody would think, why would a guy go back to prison for the 15th time? Perfect example. Well, well because, you know, you become institutionalized. Yeah. You know, you be you know what time breakfast is, lunch is, dinner is. Yep. You got three hots in a cot. You know, you can, you know, you're, you may not be safe, but yep. for you, we consider, they consider that safe. Absolutely. It's, 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 it's a, it's a structured routine environment and prison's a perfect example of that. You, uh, you know, a lot of times we're, we're part of something bigger than ourselves and that becomes our identity. And like I said, the thought of leaving that behind, it's, it's a, uh, it's scary and hard to do, you know? So yeah, that's, that's a great example. So now you're 23 years old, 24, 23, 24. Yeah. Um, you, your child's got to be what about five now? Yeah. Rough, roughly around that age. So then now you got to support him. You got to support yourself. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of times, you know, I say that when, you know, from what I've learned, obviously I'm not a professional. I'm sure. a ninth grade dropout. But um, that trauma, you know, when an adult acts out, it's usually because of stuff that happens between the ages of three and 13. Mm -hmm. Then you add alcohol and drugs to the mix. Yep. And it becomes a perfect storm. And really, nobody can tell you how to get out of the perfect storm unless somebody's been in it. Yeah. So how are you dealing with all this? Because I'm sure you're still dealing with all the trauma. And now you're getting out of the military. You got to find a job. You yeah. got to support your son. So what was that lifestyle like? Chaos. Um, I was terrible. I mean, Rich, I, I'll be upfront with you. I... I went head first in the, and I, and, and Richard, nobody peer pressured me. I was just, I was a curious individual. I like to go fast, you know, mentally and just, I want, I was, I like, I like using substances and I went head first in the methamphetamine, alcohol and pills. As soon as I discharged, that was my priority over everything, including my son. Um, for me, one of the worst things to happen was I was able to draw, you know, I was able to draw an employment for like a year and a half or, or however long it was. It was a long time. And that enabled me. I mean, it, it just it made me. I was lazy. Um, 
I lost that structure, that routine, that discipline. And I would, I would keep, I would find a job here and there and I would, and because I couldn't stay sober, I couldn't maintain it. And if it, if it wasn't for my, for my parents, if it wasn't for my son's mother um, and just people helping me out, I wouldn't have been able to take care. I mean, I wouldn't have been able to take care of my kid by myself. It's just because of the way I was living. And I, you know, I'm not proud of that. Um, my substance use came before everything. You know, my son saw me get high. I got, you know, he, I let him get high in front of me. I saw narcotics in front of him. I had him exposed to some very uh, foul environments. Uh, there was many times he saw me so intoxicated, uh, drunk, covered in my own piss. You know, those things never leave me. But um, I, that was my priority for the next, you know, 10 years after I discharged. That came before everything. So I was I was not a good example of a father. Um, I was irresponsible. I was reckless. Uh, it was it was uh, not a good time for me at all or my son. Now, you know, a lot of people when they get involved, thank God I never did meth. Um, but, you know, I, I was a big LSD guy. You know, that was my drug of choice, alcohol. And um, I, I I almost got charged for five to do five years mm-hmm. for grand larceny. But thank God. The guy that I actually robbed actually saved my ass. So I had I had a kind of an angel that was there for me. Um, but a lot of people that get messed up, especially with meth. Like I got a friend, his name is Tim Cross. Um, he's clean, I think now going on four or five years. But mm-hmm. it totally messed him up. He was down to like 130 pounds, lost all his teeth. I mean, he was you know jacked up. Yep. So, um, so what kind of effects did it have on you physically? And did you go to jail or anything like that? Because a lot of people, when once you're into that much of an addiction, you can't hold down a job. So yeah. you have to steal or do other yeah. things to feed the dragon. Absolutely. 100%. I was a liar. I was a thief. I manipulated and deceived people. Um, I stole from my, my dad, my stepdad to get high. I stole from my own kid to get high. Okay. Um, I was not a good person. I was locked up multiple times. I'm a three-time convicted felon. I have two felonies for drug, for methamphetamine possession. I have a felony for uh, multiple DWIs. I lost my license. Uh, Rich, in the past 25 years, I've not been able to drive for 17 of those years. Uh, the, the My last DWI, I lost my license for 10 years. I get those back in 2022. I was very reckless behind the wheel of a vehicle. Uh, law enforcement done their job with me by taking my license away. I don't have any bitter feelings toward law enforcement. Um, I I made them do their job with me, and I'm thankful for that today. Um, I paid. You know, I spent five years on felony probation. I paid into the system close to sixteen thousand dollars in fines and court costs. I went to prison for about four months. I probably done about a year of, of, of county jail time, just in and out of jail, you know, over and over. Um, as far as the physical uh, aspects of it, I've been fortunate. As far as I never, I never, it never affected my teeth. I lost a lot of weight. But even when I was under the influence of meth, I try to maintain some form of health as far as hygiene. And I would try to make myself eat, you know, brush my teeth and stay hydrated. Something I don't, there's not, there was something about me that I always tried to I wanted I cared about how I looked that I always looked the best. Absolutely not. I mean, I, I got down to pretty small a few times, but uh, physically, I, I mean, I pray to God I don't have any uh, physical you know problems in the future. But as far as like the the amount that I've seen other people go through. Uh, and, and Richard, one thing for, one thing for me was I never shot meth. I never shot up methamphetamine with the, with a needle. Uh, my method was I would smoke it or snort it. So you know, I, a lot of times, and I've seen the people uh, put it in their vein is when they start experiencing a lot of uh, physical side effects to it. All right. Now, I for me, 
you know, and I think most addicts that are in recovery, they can actually go back to that day where they had their come to Jesus moment. Yeah. They remember they, it'll, they can transform right back to that moment. And for me, it was the guy that I robbed was a police officer and he gave me a choice. He said, you can either go to jail for five years for grand larceny, or you can go to AA for 90 days and 90 meetings in 90 days. And I hit something like 300 meetings in a row. Yeah. And that's since 1989 and I haven't had a drink or a drug since. Awesome. That was one of my come to Jesus moments. Yeah. Take us back to the day before your come to Jesus moment and then sure. the day of your G come to Jesus moment. So the day before, um, it's been about <clears throat> around eight years ago, roundabout. I think I was 32 or 33. I can't remember the exact date. In this time period, I was living in this place called the CSC Center. It's like a jail, but you can leave and go to work. Um, I was working at a factory and I was thankful to be able to, I was thankful when I got to that CSC center because I was sober for about a month and I had some, I finally had some structure. I'd been homeless for a couple of years. When I say homeless, I was couch surfing. I wasn't living under a bridge or nothing like that. At the CSC center, when I was in this factory, I was working in this factory. Um, I got back around the same environment, the same uh, group of people that were using meth and I got sucked back in. I fell back into it. Probably the worst that I'd ever been, to be honest with you. And the day prior to um, I was working at this factory, I was about to go full time. They were going to hire me. And I was going to take a, I was going to take a year analysis. And I knew this year analysis was coming. And I still I still stayed high the day before I went in, worked and got off work to go take the drug test. And I failed it miserably. And I got fired on the spot. When I got fired on the spot, that was my coming to Jesus moment. I cried. I'm like I was I thought to myself, man, I'm so sick of this shit. Um, and, and, and Richard, I ended up in a rescue mission. Okay. <clears throat> I had three changes of clothes to my name and this rescue mission is when the transition took place in my life. I said, God, if you get me out of pits of hell, I'll always get back to the next man. I'll never doubt you when things don't go my way. And I'll always give you credit when I'm blessed. And I stood on that prayer and I meant it. And that was my coming to Jesus, uh, moment for me. And I'm, and I read your post the other day and like you, uh, meeting my wife saved my life. Uh, she changed everything for me. She's a huge part of my story. Uh, she was working at a building down the street from the rescue mission I was living at. We crossed paths and um, some, she, she believed in me. She gave me, she, she, she made me, she helped me to see something in myself that wasn't there. Um, I'm, I'm married way out of my league. My wife's got two master's degrees and I got three felonies. So we we're like the yin and the yang, but yeah, meeting, yeah, me, meeting my wife at 100%, you know, prior to meeting her, my way of doing things was proven to fail. And it was like God said to me, Ricky, listen to this woman, let her guide you and let her lead you. And that's what I did. And I humbled myself and, and I, I let myself be vulnerable enough to listen to this amazing woman. And it changed my life. Now, um, now we're going to talk about some hard stuff. Um, sure. You know, I'm a, a suicide survivor. Um, I attempted suicide Memorial Day 2012, but God had other plans. Um now, you are a victim of suicide because of your son. Absolutely, um, yes. So, you know, and and I, and I want to talk about that, you know, because as we were talking about before we got on the show, you know, um, we're losing, I think I just I interviewed somebody and they were saying that 
5,000 adolescents every day in the United States attempt yeah. suicide. Yes. So, <laughs> so that's just adolescents. So imagine the adults. Yeah. So we want to talk about, you know, talk about your, your story and then what you're doing now to help others. So sure. take us back and talk to us about what went on and what was going on. Sure. Uh, so Richard, for me, I was in and out of my son's life for, you know, the 10 years I was in active addiction. I was a horrible example. Um, make the long story short, on December 12, 2015, I get a phone call. Uh, my 18-year-old son went to a city park and he hung himself. He took his own life, okay? Um, do I blame myself for my son's death? Many days I do, but I can tell you for a fact that my behaviors impacted his mental health. Uh, the broken promises, the letdowns, the lies. Um, I put my addiction in front of him several times. I stole from him. And I re the reason I share that with people is because the way we treat people matters. Uh, my son, he just felt like he didn't have any worth or value. Um, he, I, I knew he was struggling. At this time when he took his life, I was, I, was, I was sober at the time, and I was able to be a good father to him for about two years, the best that I, the best that I could be. And we were, we were, we were, um, we were I, I was regaining his trust again. Seems th things seem to be, to be going smooth. Um, him and his girlfriend, they broke up. You know, there's a lot of different things that, you know, that contributed to it. Uh, with my son, what I share with everybody is looking back, there were red flags. At the time, I didn't see it. I didn't want to, honestly, I didn't want to believe it. But looking back, my son went through this extreme behavior change. He was, he was very depressed and in a dark state for several weeks. And then the matter of like a few days, he was very happy. He was at peace, upbeat. He wrote me a letter, uh, but he wrote me a suicide letter to me and my dad. He cleaned his room, you know, things that he never did as far as cleaning his room. That was a very extreme behavior change. Uh, looking back, he was at peace with what he was going to do. Um, he, was, he knew that he wasn't going to hurt anymore, and that was a red flag. And the reason I share that with people is I'm not saying if somebody has this extreme behavior change, they're thinking of self-harm, but it's not a bad idea to text somebody and be like, hey, Richard, just want to check on you, brother. Is everything okay? You know, we all need connection. We all we all need to feel like we matter to somebody. And a, and a simple text message or a phone call, it could absolutely save somebody's life. Um, now, I, you know, one thing I just want to talk about, with sure. talking about that, you know, I wrote my book last year or two years ago. And the last two chapters are about what addiction actually looks like, mm -hmm. not what you think it looks like. <laughs> and then what suicidal ideations actually look like not what you think it looks like and you're right on point with my point exactly is that it's not what you think yeah you know who would ever you know i'm sure that robin williams's wife would have never thought that her husband would be hanging in a closet the next morning yeah you know so you know talk to us again and i want i want to harp on it sure uh, because I want people to know some of the red flags that they can look for even today, tomorrow, in the future, whether it's their children themselves or yeah. even their husbands or wives. So please talk about that. Again. Absolutely. So, so Richard, I was, a, I, and when I say this, I want people to li that's listening to understand, I don't blame any one thing on my son's death more than I do myself. I'm just sharing with you what I saw transpire and what probably contributed to it. Um, I was the parent when I was in substance use. I let violent video games, violent movies and music babysit my son. My son was obsessed with that stuff. I'm not saying that that 
pushed him to do what he did. But when we look at death nonstop, we become desensitized to it. And, you know, put that in the mind of a 14, 15, 16-year-old kid. You know, he, I think a lot of it was he was he was desensitized to death. Am I saying that's why he did what he did? Absolutely not. I'm just saying, guys, if you've got kids, be careful with what you're letting your kids take in because it's going to come out. You know, I'm not saying it's guaranteed, but a lot of times what we see and hear, it comes out through our behaviors. Uh, those are one of the things that I look back on that I probably could I, – well, I know I could have done a lot better job with. with. And, you know, Richard, for me, I, it doesn't – you know, it, it's not about being the perfect parent. It's about being present. And I was one of those people that wasn't – I wasn't always present. You know, substance use. You know, I, I, would tell, I would tell my son, I love you more than anything – but my actions spoke another. My actions spoke louder than my than my words. You know, I was putting substance use in front of him. Um, it's just you know, it's, it's simple thing. You know, it's it's just simple things to pay attention to. You know, extreme behavior changes. Um, you know, it's uh, just keep it simple like that. So you know, what was your life like the day of, and then of course the days after. Sure. When we have to, um, like, you know, I'm a big Joel Osteen guy. Yep. And he always talks about how you take your, you turn your mess into your message. So talk to us about that and talk to us about how it shaped you into what you're doing now. So his, my son's death killed me, but inspired me to be a better person. It holds me accountable. Like, you know, every single day when I wake up, I'm very aware of how my actions and behaviors can impact somebody in a, in a positive or a bad way. And I think about it every day before I leave my house. It never goes away. Uh, the day my son took his life, I was, I mean, it, it knocked the shit out of me. I couldn't breathe. You know, I was just, I was like, it's, you know, he had, he had been, he had been talking about uh, taking, you know, he had some mental health struggles prior to that. And Richard, uh, probably about a year and a half prior to that, I was very ignorant. I, my way of thinking was very backwards. I, I had a very, not a good way of thinking. And when he, when he had mentioned, you know, he was going to take his life, my very ignorant way of thinking, I said to him, well, if you think that's going to help something, then do it. You know, that's what I, I said that. That never leaves me. It was a very stupid comment. Am I saying that contributed to what he did? Not necessarily, but looking back, it was just, a, it was a very stupid, cold thing to say. And I, I didn't know any better. And, um, but due to my son's death, you know, it, it inspired me to be a better person. Um, I, you know, got and Richard, there's days when I wake up discontent, selfish. Um, and I, I, I refuse to take out on, I, I refuse to take out on other people what I'm going through. So I'm always searching for my reasons of why, like, why, I'm, why am I doing this today? You know, you're my reason why just being able to do this. Um, I speak on Camp Lejeune probably two or three times a month. I spoke to probably 80 groups of Marines. So what inspired me to do this was I, I started doing outreach on social media. And when I say outreach, I was just sharing with the entire world everything that I'd done. Yes, I did this. I got high in front of my kid. I stole. I was very transparent. I didn't make excuses and point the finger. That was humiliating to me, but it was liberating. And it gave me strength. And by me doing that, other people saw that as like, you know what, Ricky's he's taking responsibility for all these things. I can do the same thing as well. Um, I started public speaking. I was terrible. I started speaking into an iPad in a mirror and I, you know, I, I stuttered very bad and I still stutter at times. And Richard, I'm not the greatest speaker, but I'm going to show up every time I'm invited somewhere and I'm going to give people the, you know, the best, the best that I, that I have. What I knew how to do was I knew how to persevere and be resilient and to persevere and be resilient. It doesn't take talent or gift. It's getting back up over and over. And I knew how to do that. I knew how to inspire people. 
Uh, what I say, what I mean by inspire people is be who we say that we are, practice what we preach, personify what we teach. I knew how to do that. And I care that to this day. I, I care to be a good example to people. I care to be, you know, the person you see on this, on this podcast. I care to be the same guy in the gym. Everywhere I go, I want to be the same person. I want people to look at me and be like, you know what, Ricky's who he says that he is. I want to be like that guy. And, I, and that helps hold me accountable. Um, and I just, and, and Richard, when I started public speaking, anywhere that I got invited to, I would show up. I mean, I would speak to 10 people or, you know, 10,000, whatever, wherever I'm asked to come, I would, I would do my best to get there. And that's how all this started for me. It just gives me a sense of worth and purpose. And I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm making a difference and giving back. Um, I refuse to let my son's life be in vain. Um, I'm, and I'm always going to speak for, speak for him. So how do we find you? How can we book you to come and speak? How can we support your mission? Sure. So I'm on Facebook as Ricky Johnson Jr. I also have a public page. That I just, I had, I just, this page is brand new to me and I'm still learning the, the public figure page. It's, it's also Ricky Johnson Jr. Um, that's how you can find me. Um, I got in Richard for me, I'm, I'm going on a speaking tour in January, Missouri. Um, I've never requested a fee. I don't, because I don't know what to request. Uh, so, but, but when people bless me, it allows me the opportunity to keep doing this. And I do this full time now. Um, like I said, I, I travel all over. I'm, I'm, go, I'm, I'm my hometown of Missouri has been so supportive of me. Uh, when I go home this next time, it's like the fourth time that I've traveled home. I'm speaking 16 times in like seven days, six days. So um, this is what I do full time now. And, you know, for people out there like me and you, you know, we, we public speak, you know, I'm an author, you know, top rated podcast. But when we're in recovery, um, we kind of like are always looking to pay it forward. But unfortunately, you know, we cannot bless others if our cup is empty. Yeah. <laughs> and I think a lot of times we have a struggle, you know, asking people yeah. for money. Yeah. You know, um, because you're because we're taught in, in the program to, you know, just pay it forward. Yeah. But, you know, unfortunately, we have to eat. Yeah. You know, we got to keep the lights on. You know, mm -hmm. you got to You got to be able. And we cannot, you know, give. We cannot help that homeless guy. If we're homeless ourselves, yeah, yeah, I, I can hundred percent relate. To, and I, you know, when when these high schools contact me and ask me what my fee is, I'm like, I feel I don't really know what to say because I don't want to insult them, but at the same time, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, I don't want there to be some expectation of me having to be there for four or five hours. So I just, so I'm just like, whatever you feel called to bless me with, I can continue blessing other people, and we'll we'll work with that. So, and it's it's been it's it's worked out for me. I'm sure there's going to come a time and I might have to set a fee, but as, as of now, it's been, you know, I've, I've been taken care of God's God's blessed me. I have no complaints. I'm where I'm supposed to be at. So. Well, yeah. Ricky, I just want to say thank you, brother. And like I said, before we even got on the call out of everything, I'm just grateful that you're a brother in Christ. I pre yeah. You too, brother. I appreciate you. And um, if I can ever do anything um, guys, so guys, if you're listening, definitely check out his Facebook page. Definitely check out the new page that he has, um, Public Figures. Book him to speak. Have him come on your shows. It'll definitely be worth it. My life is so much better now that Ricky is in it. So I just wanted to say that. Um, I want to thank our sponsor, Soldier Girl Coffee. Guys, you know I love my coffee. I'm drinking it as we speak. Um, and if you love supporting veterans, especially female veterans, that 
she has dealt with a lot of PTSD issues also, but she's like you said, you know, she's getting, getting up, she's showing up and she's putting in the work. So definitely check out soldier girl coffee. All right, guys, if you like everything that we talked about, make sure you leave a comment, subscribe, maybe share this because maybe there's somebody in your life that, you know, is struggling mentally. Maybe this will help them. And maybe somebody out there needs to listen to the, you know, the red flags and maybe we can save a life if you just share this. So Richard, uh, one more thing before I get off here, um, guys, anybody listening, I want you to know that my intention not to insult you, to shame you or judge you. Um, we all make bad choices, but the way that we recover is what creates who we're to become. My whole intention is to give back to you the gift that was given to me. And that's a gift of hope. And I'm going to leave you this quote before Richard closes. You know, if you guys have a vision or a goal, if you're going through a transition or whatever it is, uh, the most important steps, the very first step, you don't have to be great from the beginning, but you must begin to become great. So thanks again, Richard. You know, and I love that because, you know, a lot of people like, you know, I don't know where to start. You know, I'm afraid to start, but you got to realize that, you know, like I'm a big sports geek, always have been. And since you're from North Carolina, you know, uh, Michael Jordan got cut from his high school team. Yes. And he was a rookie. He became a rookie before mm-hmm. he became MJ. Yep. You know, Tom Brady got picked 199th pick and now he's the GOAT. Yep. So he had everybody's got to start somewhere. Absolutely. And today is the day to decide to start. Yes, sir. All right, guys. Remember vertical momentum. The only way to go is but up. Catch you guys on the flip. All right, Ricky, have a great week, brother. All right, you too, brother. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.